Holy Gospel according to Matthew, the 10th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the twelve, A disciple is not above the teacher, nor a slave above the master. It is enough for the disciple to be like the teacher and the slave like the master. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebul, how much more will they malign those of his household? So have no fear of them, for nothing that is covered up that will not nothing is covered up that will not be uncovered, and nothing is secret that will not become known. What I say to you in the dark, tell in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim from the housetops. Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? And even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. Everyone, therefore, who acknowledges me before others, I also will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Beloved family of God, grace and peace to you from God our Creator and our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ. Amen. Can we just name something straight away here that this is a pretty tough one to hear? Right? I don't envy Jenny having to come up with a children's sermon for this one. Right? This is tough for us to hear Jesus say these kinds of things because it doesn't really line up with who we want to believe Jesus to be, who we understand Jesus to be, does it? Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. We haven't come to bring peace, Jesus, is it? It's times like this that I feel like a lawyer at a trial who wants to go back to the court recorder for the record to show, right? You haven't come to bring peace, Jesus. Uh, let the record show that you have previously stated, blessed are the peacemakers. Let the record show that you have previously stated, my peace I give to you. Let the record show that you have previously stated whatever house you enter first, say, peace be with you. So how is it then that we reconcile Jesus' continual talk of peace with now this teaching that he has not come to bring peace but a sword? Take a deeper 
dive into this because I think what Jesus is doing here actually has deep roots in the history of God's people. Has deep roots in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Old Testament, particularly in the prophets that have come before. First off, it's important to remember that where we are in Matthew's Gospel is still in what's called Jesus' mission discourse. So we, we pick up right where we left off last week. And if we remember last week, Pastor Aaron preached a beautiful sermon about how Jesus sets the table for his disciples to be sent out. He says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, ask the Lord of harvest to send out laborers into his vineyard, and then he sends the twelve out. They pray for laborers to be in the vineyard, and then they go out. They're sent out to become the very laborers they have prayed for to become the answer to their prayer. What Jesus continues to do in these verses is to teach them about the new thing that God is doing that affects every single aspect of the disciples' lives. What he does is he totally upends the ways that their lives, their society, their communities are structured totally disrupts the power structures that are in place. Because there's power structures in Jesus' world that are based firmly in the family. Right? There's a hierarchy that's firmly within the family. Then there's a, a hierarchy within the extended family, and we keep moving out in these concentric circles. There's hierarchy in the family, in the extended family. There's hierarchy in the community and in the temple there's hierarchy within the province and the state, and ultimately there's hierarchy within the Holy Roman Empire. So living a good life in Jesus' day for a lot of the people was knowing your place in the hierarchy and fulfilling that role. But you see, there's a problem for Jesus within this system. And so Jesus has come to do something new. Those verses toward the end, for I have come to set a man against his father, daughter against her mother, daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, is actually Jesus quoting the prophet Micah. Towards the end of Micah, Israel is on trial, and God is speaking kind of harsh accusations against God's people, accusing them of faithlessness. Because those who are in charge of maintaining justice have been corrupted. Those who have been tasked with keeping the structures in order, making sure that God's people are cared for, have been corrupted. And they've perverted the justice that they're supposed to be upholding. In the prophet Micah, we hear these words, The voice of the Lord cries out to the city and says, The faithful have disappeared from the land. And there's no one left who is upright. Their hands are skilled to do evil. The official and the judge ask for a bribe, and the powerful dictate what they desire. Thus they pervert justice. That's God's accusation to God's people. And the prophet Micah's response is really to say that, to plead guilty, <laughs> to say yes. Yes, we have failed to protect one another from evil. Yes, we have failed to protect one another from exploitation. He responds 
to God's accusation by saying this. He says, put no trust in a friend. Have no confidence in a loved one. For the son treats the father with contempt. The daughter rises up against her mother. The daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. But as for me, he says, but as for me, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. And my God will hear me. So knowing that, we turn back to Jesus. Jesus has seen the ways that these hierarchies within society have perverted justice, have oppressed people, have been used in ways that have benefited some at the expense of others. He's seen this happen even within the hierarchies of one's own family. And there's this thing that happens, I think, that when we read it, it reminds us that this may be more familiar to us than we realize. Because we hear it at first, and we bristle. Especially when Jesus starts to talk about those intimate relationships. But if we think about times in our lives, relationships between fathers and sons, relationships between daughters and mothers, relationships between daughter-in-law and mother-in-law, any relationship that we can come up with within a family, there has been some conflict. Because we're human. I wonder if Jesus isn't just speaking about the reality of our relationships, the reality of the ways in which we relate to one another in a sinful world, in a world that is not as it should be. In the prophet Micah's response to God, he names those conflicts within our closest relationships. And then he turns to God and says that though these conflicts may arise, I will look to the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation, he says. For the prophet Micah and for Jesus, the call is not to do violence against one another. Rather, it's to make our primary attachment, the primary bond that we have in our life to God. To make our primary attachment, the primary tie that binds us to God above all others, rather than even our closest family. Eugene Peterson, in his message translation, translates it in a way which I think is kind of helpful for us to to get at. He translates it this way. He says, Don't think I've come to make life cozy. I've come to make a sharp knife cut between son and father, daughter and mother, bride and mother-in-law. Cut through these cozy domestic arrangements in order to free you for God. Well-meaning family members can sometimes be your worst enemy. And remember who Jesus is saying this to as well. He's saying this to his disciples. He's saying this to 12 people who have left their families in order to follow him. 12 people who have taken a major countercultural step away from family and toward Jesus, toward God's mission. For the world, that's a huge disruption. That's unheard of back in Jesus' day. 
And Jesus is reminding them that in some ways they are already on this course. And what Jesus does is he continually encourages them, moves them toward a new kind of community. One that's based not in hierarchies, not in one person over another or a group of people over another, but one based in mutuality, one based in mutual care for one another without the hierarchies that they have known, but only following Jesus. There's an author and professor by the name of Bell Hooks who describes how this mutual care could look in our world. She writes, To heal the wars rooted in struggles for power, women and men choose to make mutuality the basis of their bonds, ensuring that each person's growth matters and is nurtured. And it's that kind of mutuality in relationships that Jesus has come to call us into. Not to be over one another. Not to lord our power over one another or to be in control of one another, but to do away with the hierarchies of this world that tell us that we have limits on what we can do and who we can be, that we have a very narrow and prescribed role within these systems and we dare not break out of that, but God has come to free us for something new. He's come to free us so that we may be freed to be wholly devoted to loving God, to loving our neighbor and following Jesus. It still can be hard to hear these words when Jesus talks about the disruption that can come in some of our closest relationships. We can bristle when Jesus uses such language. And yet the call continues to remain the same. There's a United Methodist bishop named Will Willimon who points out that in God's family, water is thicker than blood. Kind of a fun way to think about that. Water is thicker than blood, he says. In the waters of baptism, God creates a new family. God invites every person imaginable from every country, every tribe, every race, every gender identity, every sexual orientation, every economic level, all the ways that we come up to divide people. God calls everyone together. God invites us to join together, to follow Jesus in a way that creates a new family. Not a family that revolves around us or around everyone playing their certain role. But rather, Jesus invites us to be part of a new family. Together. Whose highest commitment is loving and following Jesus. Because in God's family, water is indeed thicker than blood. Amen.